Talmor, Sheshin Mugachi. Talmor is my home. My family have worked the land for generations. My grand says the island does not belong to us, but we belong to the island. And we must be ready for a great evil is coming. And death follows with it. Listen and subscribe to the latest season of Undertow, The Harrowing, a story glass production presented by Realm, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to My Vagina. This is Jesse Karen. And I'm Rebecca Frank. And here we are again, having our current <laughs> historical, hysterical, infuriating conversation about our lives as vagina-having organisms. All content made up on the spot, but probably researched. <laughs> Just kidding, you fools. It's definitely researched. Hi. We're here with Sarah Quinn today. Hello. Can we say your last name? Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Say my middle name if you have to. Marie. Yeah. <laughs> like every other 90s kid. Now yeah. I can't guess. You ruined it. <laughs> Damn it. How are you today? On a scale of one to Michelle Obama. Oh my God. How could anybody ever be Michelle Obama? I would say I'm at like a... <laughs> on that scale. <laughs> right? I would say I'm at like a Leslie Nope. <gasps> I love you. i know we're moving fast but can i pin you can you tell us about your experience with endometriosis or i guess explain to people who don't know what endometriosis is first sure sure so i have two things that are they kind of go hand in hand but don't always go hand in hand so endometriosis is a disease that affects one in ten women in the u.s and about 176 million women worldwide. So basically, if every woman with under woman slash person with endometriosis created their own country, it would be the seventh largest country in the world. Wow. And basically what happens is the tissue that would normally line your endometrium, the inside of your uterus, decides that it is an independent woman who does not need any walls constraining it and decides to just grow outside of your uterine walls and it'll implant itself on your bladder, on your ovaries, on your bowels. In my case, um, I had it stage four and it was all the way up near my rib cage. So it can travel all over your abdomen and for everybody, it feels kind of different. So sometimes, and for different people, it can feel different at different times too. So for me, you know, sometimes I'll move and it'll feel like I have these tiny little paper cuts, like a million of them throughout like my rib cage area. And then sometimes it'll feel like there are just these hammers hammering away at my um, my uh, hip bones or on my uterus. And it, it it makes itself feel different for everybody and feel different for the same person at different times. So that's endometriosis. It's basically just endometrial tissue um, implanting itself wherever it wants in your body, mostly in your abdomen, but there are extreme cases that have happened. Adenomyosis is another thing that I have, and that often goes hand in hand with endometriosis, but can happen independently. Um, You can have endometriosis without adenomyosis and vice versa. I'm lucky enough to have both. And that is basically where um, the endometrial tissue decides to suck itself into the wall of your uterus. So it creates these little kind of fibroids um, throughout it. It makes your uterine wall a little bit thicker and uh, just, you know, a a little bit aggravated and um, inflamed and just not not pleasant to be around. (laughs) You said it sucks into the uterus? Basically, yeah. So I have some fibroids. um, So that that's basically diagnosed um, via, you know, ultrasounds or CAT scans and or MRIs even. And what 
they say is that um, my uterine wall is heterogeneous, so it doesn't, you know, it it has a weird texture to it um, that it wouldn't normally, and it's also thickened. So this tissue is not just, you know, a nice little lining on the inside of your uterus. It decides it wants to just suck right in and and do golf your uterus. Yeah, do fun little things to it. Wow. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I hope that by adding my voice and my personal story, I can fuel your fire and somehow be a small part in protecting my fellow females and my fellow endometriosis sufferers. That's one in 10 women in the U.S. Thank you for fighting for us. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And Sarah, thank you for writing and thank you for fighting. We're going to fight to save your coverage. And next year, I expect you to see you on the parade route at Pride. You had your letter read yeah. by Elizabeth Warren, right? On I C-SPAN. Did. I did on <laughs> I did on C-SPAN. Yeah, I've never heard somebody get that excited about C-SPAN. <laughs> oh, I I've heard myself get that excited, but only only when Elizabeth yes. Warren was was talking about me on right. C-SPAN. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was it was a year ago. Um it was one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me. I I've actually written her a lot of letters. It's kind of just like instead of writing in a journal, like when I'm frustrated, I kind of just email oh Elizabeth God. Warren. Um, so you're Leslie Nope. <laughs> Leslie Nope. You should I write actually, a book. I actually have some correspondence, like some back and forth with one of her aides who knows me, and like I'll get into it. But um, so a year ago, I it was during Boston Pride, and I had, I was supposed to go to Boston Pride with some of my friends and you know celebrate and Elizabeth Warren's always there she's always like the head of the parade and just like dancing with like a pride flag as a cape like she's incredible um and my friends and I were all gonna go and it was just one of those days where I woke up and I was like there's no way I'm leaving my bed today it's just not gonna happen and so I was like well you know I've got to you know I've got to do something today (laughs) like if I can't show my support for that cause I have to do something else. And so I emailed Elizabeth Warren, as I often do. I pretty much have her page bookmarked on my computer. And it was during the the fight for healthcare, for healthcare access, when the GOP healthcare bill was proposed and they were trying to defund Planned Parenthood, which not like that's not happening anymore, but it was when that was a really prominent uh, issue at the time, about a, a year ago. And so I sent her this letter and I basically just said, I'm Sarah. I have not this thing called endometriosis that you may not have heard of, but it affects one in 10 women. And I just am scared of this bill because I'm lucky enough to have really good health insurance. Mm-hmm. But I know for a fact that there are millions and millions of people out there who don't have great insurance and rely on Planned Parenthood for their birth control because birth control is the only treatment that we have for endometriosis. And it doesn't work on everybody. It didn't work on me. Um either time. I mean, mm-hmm. it didn't work for me before surgery, didn't work after surgery. And so um, so I emailed her and I basically just told her what it was and why Planned Parenthood is so important. And yeah. I made this like embarrassing comment at the end because I didn't know it'd be read on national television. <laughs> I, love I, you, was Elizabeth like, Warren. I was like, I was like, I know you're the, the patron state of patron state of Planned Parenthood. And, and I know that you're, you're putting all your effort into it and you're the embodiment of Wonder Woman, but I just wanted to help fuel your fire. And I was like, Oh God, I would have been so different. So now I write every letter as if it's going to be written or read on C-SPAN. Right. But um, That's pro- I'm glad you wrote that and that yeah. it was read on C-SPAN. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll send you guys the link to it. But, um, oh, I watched it. Me oh, too. you did? Oh, I, I did send you the link. Part. Oh, yeah. okay, good. Um, but 
yeah, so I, I, I read it or wrote it to her. And then a few days later, I got um, an email from her aide and she said, you know, she would love to read this um, mm-hmm. on the Senate floor in order to fight for, you know, health care and Planned Parenthood. Would that be OK with you? And I was like, and so I'll tell you when I get back from fainting. And then I like my grad cap said, nevertheless, she persisted on it. And I like sent a picture of myself with it. And I was like, in case she needs a photo of me, which I knew she didn't. I just wanted to hopefully see if Elizabeth Warren could see my grad cap. And so then her um, her aide and I like had these back and forths about like, oh, I love the cap. And, you know, just she was letting me know like when and where I could watch it. And then she sent me a video of it. And um, actually, a few weeks ago, I um, I saw that she and Orrin Hatch partnered up with the Endo What Foundation, which is this organization that is focused on basically raising awareness of it. And I, I sent an email to her aide and I was like, hey, it's been a year. I just wanted to, you know, see if I could get the message through to Senator Warren that I saw that she's now working on this Endo What Foundation. Um, I wrote a letter about endometriosis last year and, you know, it was incredible enough to see that the senator was actually reading my letter, let alone, you know, continuing to fight for the cause that I had been trying to, to bring awareness about for. And so part of me, you know, kind of thinks, did I play any part in like planting the seed in her ear or did, you know, did, did a relative of hers so. have endometriosis and was she aware of it already? And that's why she selected my letter. I don't know, but I do like to think that maybe I planted the seed. And, and as I said, I really think that her, let's go with it. But I really do think that um, her initiative with endo or, or with endo what, and with Orrin Hatch did play a part in mm-hmm. The Department of Defense funding, especially because yeah. it's a bipartisan thing. Mm-hmm. If you didn't plant the seed, you definitely threw a bucket of water on it. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Fertilized it. For, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Does it make it more likely for someone to have an ectopic pregnancy, or are those completely different things? Like, I don't know a whole lot about the likelihood, but I know that ectop. Actually, I, I think I do know a little bit about the likelihood. It is something that is very possible. Um, endometriosis is one of the leading causes, if not the leading cause of infertility in women. And a part of that, you know, it can lead to miscarriages. It can lead to ectopic pregnancies. Um, and I think adenomyosis, I, I could be wrong on this. I think adenomyosis has a little bit more of an impact on that because it's directly in the uterus. Um, but it also depends on where the endometriosis endometriosis grows. So if it's growing on the outer wall, like on the outside of your uterus, then mm-hmm. I think it could um, impact that. But ectopic pregnancies are something that I was warned about starting at age like 20. And mm-hmm. I was wow. like, I'm not not in that arena yet. Is yeah. that when you found out that you had so, endometriosis? So I... um. Actually, yeah. Well, 21, I think, is when I was officially diagnosed. Um, My mom growing up had made comments here and there about infertility, and I never really knew why. I was like, I'm I'm 15. Why are you, you know, telling me that you want me to like she she warned me growing up about things like like tanning beds or like getting too many um, like CAT scans. I had some knee issues growing up and whenever they wanted to do, um, you know, things like um, x-rays or or whatever, she was like, I, I just want to minimize it because I want to, you know, keep your chance of fertility as high as I can. And I had always had terrible cramps. I had gone to um, a couple different gynecologists and all of them just, you know, put me on different birth controls and said, you know, like maybe you just have a weak pain tolerance mm-hmm. or low pain tolerance. It's and, in your yeah. head. Yeah, it's in your head. Um, 
And, you know, but it just wasn't getting better. Like being on the pill wasn't regulating my period. I would go a month without it. And then I would have two to three in one month. There were times where I would bleed the entire month. Um, It just, there was no, no rhyme or reason to it, even when I was on the pill. And so Easter junior year of college, I was having some really bad cramps. And I remember my mom sat me down and was like, Sarah, I just, I think that something we should start thinking about is that I was diagnosed with this thing called endometriosis and it is very hereditary genetic. Um, It's likely that you have it. And basically, you know, I looked it up and one of the things that can happen is really bad period cramps. My mom had never really, you know, to her knowledge, she hadn't had really bad period cramps. I mean, she probably just had a really high pain tolerance um, like me because, you know, for years I thought it was normal. Mm. But she got accidentally diagnosed when she was getting some other test done. And they said, oh, you have you have this. And do you have any daughters? She said, yeah, I have two. Um, and they said, you know, how how are their periods? How are they doing? And I think she thought, oh, well, you know, my one of my daughters can barely stand up when she has her period. And so they kind of said, this is something you should look into. So I found online that um, one of the leading specialists in the world on it is in Boston. And at the time, I was in college in Rhode Island, but my family's from Massachusetts. So technically I still lived in Massachusetts, but, you know, went to school and lived in Rhode Island um, when I was at school. I saw this doctor for the first time and he uh, put me on this other sort of kind of birth control medication and said, let's just see what happens. It's a little bit more uh, high powered and nothing changed. And so I saw him a couple times throughout that year. They found during that time some ovarian cysts in me and they found some other things that could be causing pain. So they said, maybe those are it. So let's see how those go and let's see how this medication goes. And all these years they had been just trying thing after thing and birth control after birth control and nothing was working. The summer after my, after I graduated college, so this was just over a year ago, he said, you know, I think that there's enough cause to believe that you have endometriosis. First of all, there's a family history of it in your mother, which is a super common thing. And second of all, you know, these medications aren't working. Your pain really matches up with the other um, patients. So I think it's, you know, I think we're good to go. So that was my unofficial diagnosis. And then Mm -hmm. my official diagnosis because the only way to diagnose it is through surgery, came uh, that August, so just over a year ago. Um, wow. And I'm actually scheduled for my second one um, in about two weeks. So, Because the first one didn't take? or So it, it's kind of hard to say, and we're, we're sort of figuring that out right now. Um, after my first one, basically, he put me on this one birth control pill and said this should prevent it from growing back again. And in theory, maybe it should have. I don't know. But the doctor that I see now says that she would have done things very differently. So basically now I throughout in the past year, they've really changed my regimen. So now I'm on um, about five different medications. One of them actually puts me in medical menopause technically at age 23, which is a lot of fun. But it is reversible, thank God, because it's just in the form of a pill. Um, So it's not. Yeah, they didn't take out my uterus just yet. It's fun while it lasts. (laughs) Yeah, right. Fun while it lasts. Um, But, you know, we've we've tried everything and it seems as though it's grown back because after surgery I had the soreness that you would get post-surgery and it felt like that kind of went right into this entire month where I just bled for a month straight which is not supposed to happen and the thing about um, endometriosis is that a lot of times having your period is what kind of waters the ground for it to grow in and so that's why a lot of times 
the birth control that they'll put you on is supposed to cut out, cut out your period. So I would uh-huh. skip my hormone weeks and things like that so that I wouldn't get my period. And it's like you were fertilizing yourself. Almost. Yes, <laughs> literally. literally. <laughs> wow. <laughs> exactly. And so um, so they, they cut that out. But for some reason, the month after my surgery or maybe two months after, I bled for an entire month. I, it was super painful. And the pain kind of went from the soreness of surgery right back into the same pain that I'd had before. So we never really felt any sort of real relief from it. And actually, my doctor, the one that I see now in New York, now that I live here, um, she said that several people, several patients of hers who came over from him mm. actually got worse after their first surgery. So what? it's a little, little concerning. Did you say they cut it out? I was listening to a, a TED talk by Shannon Cohn, I think is her name. And they, uh, she said that like the majority burn it out versus cutting it out. Yeah, so that's ablation versus excision. Excision um, Excision is the way to go. Um, and from what I understand, that is what my surgeon did because okay. he you know, said very clearly that that's what you have to do. So yeah, ablation is where you basically burn it out. It's just you kind of zap the area. Um, and then excision is where you actually cut the area out so that you're, you know, it's, it's like you're pulling the roots out of the ground sort of. Mm. Um, and from what I understand, that is what he did um, because, you know, that's, He's he does a lot of the primary research on it in the in this country and um he's a really well acclaimed doctor. So, you know, I really trusted him and he seemed as like you're supposed to with your doctor. As you're supposed to. And especially because I remember him telling me that his daughter had endometriosis and he, you know, fixed her. So it was comforting to me because I was thinking, you know, my dad's not a doctor, but if my dad was a doctor and he had a patient who or if his daughter had what he specialized in, I mean, he would make it his life's work, you know, just yeah. the way my dad is. Right. Um, I see some physical therapists now and they say that they feel um, ish, or, uh, areas of scar tissue and adhesions, which is where uh, it's basically scar tissue that can connect, say, your ovary to your bladder or something like that. Okay. Um, and so then, you know, in certain cases, people will have organs, like people will have like uh, appendicitis because they're, um, adhesions are wrapping around their appendix or because their appendix is being, um, you know, glued to their bowel or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can cause some really serious problems. Um, and mine, knock on wood, hasn't quite yet. But um, there have been some, you know, ER vis- visits where I'm just having insane flares and I don't know what to do. Um, one case, it I had a very mild something that turned into this massive kidney infection and they said that it was likely related to my endometriosis they said that when i get my surgery again they want them to look at um, my kidneys to see if there's endo growing on it because Mm -hmm. they think that there might be i wonder if there's crossover diagnosis with uh like crohn's disease or something like that in terms of like that might be because i was reading a lot of these things saying that it takes on average seven to ten years to diagnose women with it and i'm thinking as you're talking about all the possible other diagnoses that can come up and the way that you're explaining what the pain is like and and how things are happening and sticking to other things and that's one of the things that comes up with a lot of different gastrointestinal problems exactly exactly i mean there are a lot of people are misdiagnosed with things like um, yeah, like Crohn's disease or um, IBS or, um, you know, different things like that um, be, as a result of it, just because the the symptoms. And I've been sent to gastroenterologist after gastroenterologist mm-hmm. because they've said, you know, it seems as though, you know, you're having abdominal pain. It's probably your your stomach. Mm-hmm. And I do have celiac disease, or at least they <laughs> no. at least they think. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe it turns out it's not. But 
Um, and so, you know, I know when my pain is because I eat gluten, because mm-hmm. I usually know when I eat gluten and it's, it's a different type of pain. You know, right. you can tell when something's in your intestine versus when something is, you know, stabbing your ovary. Right. <laughs> um, but there, are, there's a lot of misdiagnosis out there and that's why it does take like seven to 10 years for me. It was about eight years. I got my first period when wow. I was 14 and got diagnosed at 21, which is wild to me because it seems like they had a shortcut to diagnose you. Because one of the questions I was going to ask early was whether it was genetic. Mm-hmm. And you said that it was. And so I'm thinking to myself, I mean, I feel really terrible that your mom also had gone through, through it, but like kind of lucky for you because that would have given your doctors a clue as to what to look for. Speed and it's it just wild to me that it still took that long. Exactly. Well, we have like, I mean, what you were saying about your doctors too, like obviously most are well-meaning and they want to help and they, they're kind when you have like the common cold, but when it's a little less clear or like, especially if it's involves a woman's health, it gets complicated really quickly. There was a recent study in the Journal of Law, Medicine and Ethics that men wait an average of 49 minutes in the ER to receive painkillers for abdominal pain and women wait an average of 65 minutes for the same thing. Oh my God. I'm not surprised. Right. Which is crazy though, because, you know, I mean, oh, and women are offered uh, sedatives first for the exact same symptoms, which is that like, it goes back to that women hysteria. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I would um, also love to see how much that differs with women of color because black oh women wait for pain pills even longer and are not given as high dosage. Because they're overreacting. Or, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine. Absolutely yeah. can't imagine. But I mean, yeah. And doctors even, I've actually even had disappointing experience with female doctors. Mm-hmm. And I will say that I can't say male doctors have been better or worse than female doctors because I've had different experiences with both. Like I've had ER doctors who have been men who have basically been like, I truly cannot imagine what you're going through. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to like, I trust you. Like I honestly can't relate at all. Whereas some women will be like, oh, come on. Like it's womanhood period suck. I get it. But on the other hand, then there will be women who are like, I am a woman and I know that we deal with a lot of shit. And then there will be men who will be like, oh, come on. Like, you know, so it's like I can't I can't say that one gender of doctor is more understanding than the other Mm because I have had very differing situations with both. Of course. But I have to say that I've had some disappointing experiences with female doctors. One of the first things that brought me into the gynecologist. Well, I mean, I guess when I was, I think, 17 is maybe six, no, 17, I think is when I saw a gynecologist for the first time. And it was just because I wanted to try regulating my period. And then I went back um, after I had studied abroad. um, And I just remember being in pain all the time. And it was because my spleen was enlarged and it was reacting poorly with the other inflammation that was in my body. And so there was a lot of pain over the, a lot of pain in the area. And when I got back, I went to a gynecologist again. And I said, you know, I, it's just not getting better. I want to try something else. And while I was there, I was like, and this is really awkward, but any sort of penetration of the area is really painful. Like I can't put a tampon in without screaming in pain, let alone, you know, like, you know, and I'm, I'm starting to want to date and, you know, it's, it's something that scares you. And what she actually said to me was, well, you know what, maybe you're tense. I would just try drinking a glass of wine. If you're, if you're having a night with a guy and you want to want to go for it, drink a glass of wine first and relax. And that was a woman who said that. And I was not even 21 at that point. (laughs) I, and this woman was advocating that I drink wine before sex so that it's not painful. And was she advocating that you drink wine before you put a tampon in? I know. Exactly. I'm sorry. I have to like with the amount of bleeding that I have because of this disease, like I go through like, 
a tampon an hour. I'm not going to have to. Um, I'm not going to be am- drinking wine all day every day. Yeah, right. <laughs> for the amount of crap that I get from drinking from my doctor. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and they're like, oh, every time you have to like put a tampon in, you know, have a glass of wine. Have a glass of wine. What's that? Like two, three times a day, or for you, it's probably more because like once an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh for God. like an entire week straight or something. Like no, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and so, you know, there like there are disappointing comments that have been made. I would say that is one of the most disappointing ones. That's um, pretty disappointing. Pretty yeah, disappointing. Because like expectations for female doctors when it comes to something like this are just higher. You too. And actually, you'd like to think they understand. Yeah. And actually, that was one doctor who had said to me, and, and this is another thing that I've gotten actually a few times. I've had two gynecologists who say that they had pre- past tense had endometriosis, but then they got pregnant and it went away, which is something that some doctors say can help. And mm. my mom actually, like my mom says that her periods are better. Well, I mean, you know, my mom said that her periods, her periods got better after having kids. And that is, you know, partially because like there are hormonal changes that go on. There are changes in your mm-hmm. uterus. There are certain women who do get quote unquote cured of endometriosis after they're, after they get pregnant. Mm. But this is one doctor, the one who said, who made the wine comment. She was somebody who said she had endometriosis. And I was like, is that, is that what you did? I mean, yeah. <laughs> speaking from yeah. experience here and yeah. granted the, the um, pain with like penetration with insertion is not something that everybody with endometriosis gets. And in mm. fact, they're currently looking into something called um, vulvodine or sorry, uh, vaginismus. There is something else called vulvodynia, but vaginismus, which is, basically a vaginal canal pain and then there's vulvodynia Sorry. which is where it sounds like a fun holiday where yeah. you get a vagina christmas tree but it's not. <laughs> let's make it that i like that i prefer that yeah. it sheds some light on yeah. it yeah yeah you should make a little vaginismus car- christmas yeah. cartoon it's, it's like so festivus nice. yeah. vaginismus for the rest of us <laughs> I designed some pretty great things up in my head. I've already got this party planned out. I saw your your the logo for this podcast. You could do a nice little Christmas card. And Thank sketch, you for noticing. Sketch up. Yeah. <laughs> Happy holidays. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, oh my god. But no, it's just like that. It's it's something that often comes hand in hand with it, and that's one frustrating thing about endometriosis is that there are so many different things that can accompany it, and so if they sometimes they'll say okay, we're, you know, we're on a track to fix your endometriosis. Like, and granted, it can't be cured, just treated. Um, They can only really keep the symptoms at bay because there's currently no cure for it. Um, Mm -hmm. But they they say like, we're on a good track here. Like it it looks good, but then the pain will continue. And you don't know if like right now, for all I know, they're going to go in in two weeks and they're not going to find any any more endometriosis that has grown, but they're going to find that my uterus is much, much thicker now. And it, you know, my adenomyosis is wildly all over the place. Maybe they'll find a bunch of ovarian cysts. Maybe they'll find extra fibroids. Like, I don't know. And that's, what's a little scary is that, you know, you want your doctor to trust you. And when I, when she said, I want to do another surgery, I was like, just, you know, I, I have to admit that I'm nervous. And I was nervous the first time too. I was like, what if you go in and you don't find anything and then yeah. you don't trust me? <laughs> and he was yeah. nice about saying, well, you know, we'll, we'll do what we can. We'll see. Um, 
But this new doctor in New York here, I I love her. She basically said, I'm going to have several different surgeons on call that day. Mm -hmm. So if there's anything that's out of my realm, like if we find thoracic endometriosis, which is a little bit more advanced than just upper abdominal, Mm -hmm. um, then she's going to have a doctor who specializes in removing it from that area. If she finds ovarian cysts that she doesn't feel she can remove, she's going to have somebody on call there. And she basically said, we are just going to remove anything in there that we feel is causing you pain. But it's it's still scary because you want yeah. your doctor to to trust you. And mm-hmm. I spent so many years of not being believed by doctors that, yeah. you know, it, it's it's kind of sad. I'm almost, you know, praying that I do have a disease in there because, A, then they'll believe me and, B, then there's something for them to fix. And yeah, if and, they don't, and to, like, continue to monitor. Exactly. And if they don't find anything, then they can't fix anything. And so it's hard to push back against a doctor who's dismissing you. You know, it happens with men and women, and she says this all the time, women are also agents of the patriarchy. It's hard to not see how gender bias plays a role in medicine. We're taught from an early age certain social codes being polite, being kind, and suppressing our own anger or pain. And, like, periods suck, yeah. Deal with yeah. it. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sixth grade health class. It's they your just period. Say, I mean, when I first went to the doctors, I had really, really painful periods that would I wouldn't be able to go to school for or they'd send me to the nurse for. And they were like, oh, just pop a couple a leave. Yeah. Right. And I was like, right, but that's not. But the working. thing is, it's not working. Yeah. And then yeah. they would. And then they, after that, they would say, oh, you're just not taking them early enough. It, and it just didn't make any sense. I was like, but I'm in like doubled over pain. Like I've passed out from this. I don't really understand. I went to the hospital a few years ago for abdominal pain. And I remember everyone was calm. Everyone was like asleep. It was three o'clock in the morning. And I went there and I was screaming in pain. And the doc- and the nurse was like, yeah, well, we'll be with you. And it was like 20 minutes in and they called this other dude. And the guy was like, can't you? She can take my place. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was like, are you crazy? Like, this is the ER. She's clearly in severe pain. And you're going to take me first? Oh, my God. That's what everyone's here for first of all like can he be our president right (laughs) seriously i know like i still remember that angel (laughs) oh my god (laughs) he was lovely but you know it was crazy that our medical field was like oh she'll be fine what what were the chances i could have had something that was you could have had a cyst rupturing that could have caused internal bleeding it could have yeah i mean and it's scary and i've gone to the er a couple of times in the past two years um you know thinking that i had assist rupturing and thinking it was internal bleeding. And, you know, a, a lot of times it was something different. There there was one time where they did find assist, but it hadn't ruptured. It was just doing, I don't know what it was doing, but I never really get... Dancing. I, yeah, dancing. <laughs> the only time that I've ever actually gotten an answer from the ER was when they made the comment about my kidneys and they said, you know, you have a kidney infection. We think that there's endo growing on your kidneys and we think that's what it is. Yeah. But it's frustrating. I mean, they usually they put you on morphine for a few hours and mm-hmm. they're like, do you feel better now? And I'm like, not really. And they're like, well, you seem calm. And I'm like, well, I'm on morphine. Well, that was your plan. <laughs> yeah, that's I the plan. Stop the hysterical girl. <laughs> exactly. And then they just send you on home and, yeah. and that's it. You know, like fibromyalgia while well, I'm thinking about all this and like the narrative around that about yeah. like, oh, it, it only affects women because women are hysterical and it's only mm. in their heads and all this other stuff. And meanwhile, I don't know if you've heard about this, but I found about this study This is so this is so wild Um, that a master's student at the University of Sydney in Australia got approved in 2017 to do research into how men's sexual well-being is affected by being in a relationship with a woman with endometriosis. I read this. What the fuck? Oh, my God. I read it and I 
I, I screamed. Thank yeah. God I live alone because my roommate would have been deeply disturbed at the noises that I made while reading that. Unreal. Article. It's like you're talking about one in 10 women and they can't secure research dollars to do studies into people who are actually suffering from it, but they can find the money to look at how it affects men. men. Like, fuck And right what's off. frustrating is that Australia is the country that is the most advanced in <laughs> your face, face right, right now. <laughs> that was my face for about three days after reading that article. Are you breathing? Do we need to? <laughs> There's so much. <laughs> It's so crazy. Dating is scary, but it's frustrating because Australia is the country who first put money towards research in endometriosis. And now I'm like, is that where where all of it (laughs) went? Is that where it's going? Because we still got nothing. (laughs) So we can solve it so that men can be more comfortable. Right. Were they just being vague when they said endometriosis research? (laughs) (laughs) It's really like just a hub for men to come in and drink green tea and like have endometriosis. But that's, I mean, it brings about an important point is that like dating with something like this is terrifying because it's Mm. like, I have a lot of people who, you know, I work with and and friends of mine, people who are my age, who are 23 and are young and playing the field who are like, you need to get on the dating apps. You need to go out there and meet guys. You need to, you know, you need to just play the field. And it's scary because, you know, I've never really... I've never dated. I haven't dated someone since I had an official diagnosis. Mm. Um, I've, you know, dated people, dated guys in the past. And, you know, it's it's been an issue, but I never really knew what the issue was. You know, I never really knew why things were super painful. And I never really knew how to deal with it when, you know, he wanted to do something. And I had to say, I'm sorry, like, I can't, you know, go on a date tonight because I can't leave my bed. Mm. You know, it's hard for guys to understand that. But now that I know it's it's kind of this weird balance that I'm not really sure how to how to figure out where you know do I I don't want to say it too early I don't want to walk up to him and be hi my name is Sarah Quinn and some days I can't leave my bed and also I probably can't have sex with you without crying and also uh, you know this this affects every part of my well-being um so so want to go for it but you also don't want to be too late and you don't want to you know like be in you know be having like a nice night and then suddenly me start screaming in pain right, <laughs> like, right. you know you know it, so i just i haven't really figured it out yet and i don't think i will i'm not and you kind of shouldn't have I, to yeah right. and i i'm also just not like you know it it's like a part-time job having to deal with it you know i have to go to therapy because it affects my mental state and affects the way that i think about myself and the way that i look at myself and like there are times when i'm like i don't I feel like a broken woman. I feel like I'm not like I'm a sad excuse for a woman, like that sort of thing. Cause you know, there are just these things that women are supposed to get their periods. And there are these, I guess, stereotypes in society where women are supposed to have babies and they are supposed to be able to have sex with men. And, you know, when those things are challenging for you, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know if I'll be able to have kids one day and sex is just pretty much off the table at this point because it's so painful. And, you know, it's one of those things that, it affects it affects more than just your your physical health. It affects mm-hmm. your mental health. So I have to go to therapy for it, and then I have to go to physical therapy for my pelvic floor, which is really fun. It's basically a doctor um, really deeply fingering you for half an hour, and then making you do things that that hurt your your hips. 
and it's like an internal massage and then like external work. And then I have my morning medications. I have my five o'clock medications, which if I don't take right at five o'clock, I will get my period and I like the next day and then I will be out of commission for like three days. Um, And those are the one of those is the um, the menopause pill. And then I have to take my nighttime medications. And it's it's a lot to think about. And then I have to on top of that, I have to do my physical therapy stretching at home Mm -hmm. um, every day, even when I'm not doing physical therapy, like when I'm not at the physical therapist. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to take three to five um, Epsom salt baths a week. I have to be on the special diet where I avoid things like caffeine and and alcohol and chocolate, which good one. Um, <laughs> nice try. Nice try on that one. Um, and lot, like lots of different things, citrus, tomatoes, mm-hmm. because they're harsh on your bladder. And when you have bladder pain, it can uh, translate into uterus pain because they're really close together. And if one mm-hmm. of them's inflamed, then it can bump into the other. So it's it's like a part time job. And I just can't even think about bringing another person into this right now and and i'm at peace with it which is good mm-hmm. um but i'm you know being getting to to worry about me just being single forever because you know i'm just i love it i'm so comfortable with it right now and like I'm, <laughs> it's a nice I, feeling I, I never yeah i live alone and all i really want is a dog and it that'll gets really peaceful after a while <laughs> yeah it really does i mean and then you're kind of like eh, i don't really want it anyway exactly so i know my my parents want grandkids but i'm sorry <laughs> that's that's why they had three kids right yeah for real. that's why we have dogs that's why we have dogs that's why we have dogs exactly and one in ten women have this one in so many people if everybody like it would be the seventh largest country in the world if everybody with it we don't know country we don't know anything about it no well i mean obviously we know some things but we know barely anything about it and i would guarantee that three quarters of the people who are going to listen to this episode have no idea what endometriosis is until right now yeah Yeah. and um it just about three weeks ago i want to say maybe a month ago finally got funding from the department of defense for the first time ever um which is really exciting it's strange that it's from why the department of defense (laughs) so from what i understand it's because it affects members of um like the the Senate, like representatives of the country, like the government and the military and regular people. Um, there are certain, I guess, regulations that have to that it has to go through. Um, and it's because it affects, you know, members of the Senate and members of the military and regular people and members of, you know, the the police and things like that. Okay. Um, but, you know, that said, it's it's great to hear that that happened. But in terms of where our country is at right now, I think yeah. that the Department of Defense is not going to put it as number one on their priority Yeah, I mean, list. we're busy doing, trying to figure out a space force, you right. know, like who exactly. really can fix problems with endometriosis. And Elizabeth Warren has lately been a huge, huge advocate for it. And I, I do think that she is the reason why it got the funding. But, mm-hmm. um, and I, you know, she is my absolute goddess, but Dude. there's only so much yeah. she can do. And yes, Orrin Hatch has actually worked with her on it, which is good. It's like, she's doing a bipartisan initiative right now. But, you know, I know that there are people in the government who don't like her and Mm -hmm. are just going to say she's being hysterical and that it's something that she's just panicking about, you know. Yeah, because the reality is like after, I mean, not to like super politics it, but um, and it's on both sides. Like the second 2016 ended all that narrative about Hillary being shrieking and and Mm -hmm. all of this stuff, all of those words, because then Elizabeth Warren became the next threat. Yes. Right. So all of those words were then used to describe her, which then discredits so much of what she's saying. And meanwhile, you know, this is one of those things that it's like, who does it hurt 
to do this? Who does it hurt to say, you know what? Like, I don't like you, but I like this thing that you're doing. So I'm going to go ahead and do this because all it does is help people. Like there's literally no downside whatsoever to spending our dollars on research into endometriosis. And maybe it comes into the whole thing of uh, trying to discredit Planned Parenthood and saying Mm -hmm. like a lot of women that don't have health insurance and don't have access to this kind of support visit Planned Parenthood and they don't want to allow that into the narrative about that. But it's also like people who hate Planned Parenthood Breast cancer doesn't dissuade them. So endometriosis that they never heard of certainly isn't going to change their minds. Like, right. I just, it's wild and to the, me. The thing is, I mean, again, it's one in 10 women and everybody out there knows 10 women. And whether mm. or not any of the women know that they have endometriosis, odds are one of them does. And one of them, probably especially among Republican people are mm-hmm. are probably saying oh you know like they're probably told to just relax and settle down because drink a glass of wine drink a glass <laughs> of wine suck up the pain drink a glass of wine take an entire bottle of aleve right three days before you're gonna gonna, gonna get your period Deal because you always know exactly when it's coming mm-hmm. <laughs> and having endometriosis is such an expensive thing like constantly mm-hmm. going to the doctors yeah. and, and also being dismissed and having to go back and try new doctors and medication and surgery and i you know i i wonder how many people are living with something that could easily be not easily be funded i'm sure but yeah, yeah and, you know, just, and it costs the u.s like 119 billion dollars annually yes and and you know people who have to stay home from work or have to mm-hmm. ex- exactly and um, wages lost in productivity mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, associated medical costs i was yeah. watching ted talks <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it i'm i'm so lucky to have the care that I do but whenever I like and I get annoyed about having to go to all these doctor appointments like my bosses are so understanding about the fact that every Thursday morning I have to come in late because I have to see my therapist and it's not just you know I mean therapy is important for everybody but it's it's a medically sanctioned therapist because I'm on certain I have to see a psychiatrist once a month because I'm on all these different medications that you know mess with my hormones they mess with my everything really Um, and then just having this disease affects the way that I think about myself as a person. So I complain about it all the time. Like I hate having to go to the doctor. I hate having to get blood done but that or blood work done. But then I think about the fact that there are millions of people who have this who would kill to be able to get blood work done and who'd kill to be able to, you know, go for an MRI or get, you know, have to go to these appointments every week. And, you know, it, it, it does yeah. bother me and it makes me feel guilty. And, you know, I shouldn't feel guilty about doing what I have to do. But we live in a world where not everybody is able to get the care that they need to. Yeah. And where we don't have a conversation about what chronic pain is, what yeah. uh, living with, uh, as of now, like incurable condition is mm-hmm. and what that does not only to um, you physically, but also the mental aspects of it. And specifically considering looking at a disease that affects women and that is discredited because people think that women are crazy. And then, you know, I read this quote. I mean, it was an article written by someone who has endometriosis, but it was a quote from a doctor that said, do mad people get endometriosis or does endo make you mad? And it's like, and, you know, she was saying that she um, was saying, you know, asking to leave work or school early or bail out in a party. And do you want to say, I've been bleeding constantly for three weeks and I can hardly stand up. Or I recently <laughs> had a chunk of my bowel removed and I feel like I'm birthing a cactus. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, and she's talking about how, and this was a gynecologist that said this to her and, and like, and that the person came up with the, the conclusion of, of that 
question was, it's probably a bit of both. Yeah. And it's like, so how, you know, when so many people would just dismiss it and, but like having, having to deal with, with what you're dealing with, you have to talk to somebody, you know what I mean? And like, and it feeds into the same bullshit that people are throwing at people with chronic illness anyways. It does. You know, like the treatment feeds it. It's crazy. Yeah. And I actually, one of my friends has um, a different sort of chronic pain that is nothing at all like my endometriosis, but she posted something on her Instagram a few weeks ago that basically said, the reason why people with chronic pain have to talk about it is because it's lonely to go through alone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not like you would wish the pain that you have on anybody else, but if you don't talk about it, then it consumes you. And then you start to wonder if it's real and you start to, you know, wonder if you're going crazy and basically you go mad if you don't talk about it. And, you know, I have friends who tease me like, you know, like, Oh, can, is it possible for you to go to a doctor appointment without Snapchatting me about it? And is it possible for you to have a, you know, a bad pain day without talking about it? And I mean, yeah, but then I'll, you know, go crazy and I'll wallow in it. Like I've had about seven people reach out to me via Instagram saying, hey, I've seen that you've posted about this thing that you're going through. And, you know, I've been having some really similar symptoms. And I was wondering, like, where do I start? And, you know, I've had probably more than seven people kind of poke fun at me for, you know, like Instagramming pictures of my heating pads or you know, like Instagram. I mean, I will say one of my doctors has a really beautiful view of Radio City. And so some so I always Instagram when I go there. Yeah. But it's 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 something that I have to do um, in order to, and I I try not to be, you know, too open about it, but it's something that you have to talk about because A, you have to raise awareness. B, I'm going through this on my own and I don't know what I'm doing. Um, And C, you know, you have to, like, you just have to kind of validate yourself almost. You can't hold it all by yourself. It's too much. And you should also have to explain that. And also, like, if you don't like somebody's Instagram, shut the fuck up and scroll (laughs) up. Unfollow. Unfollow, mute, scroll up. Like, there's no need to, like, if you can't support, then... Yeah, then move along. And, like, if I had cancer, I don't think they'd be like, why are you talking about it so much? (laughs) Right. I just think people don't realize, like, they're probably like, oh, you have, like, a little pain in your stomach. Why do you have to talk about it all the time? Mm -hmm. And most of the people who say that are guys. And, and, you know, they're they're the ones who are like, I have a small cold. I can't come to work today. (laughs) Yeah. Then I have an IUD in, and a couple times my uterus has tried to kind of reject the IUD and has (laughs) literally contracted as though it's trying to start you know, child labor because it thinks that it has to birth whatever's going on in there. And I've sat through meetings just being like, there's contraction. I'm having uterine contractions. I'm having uterine contractions. And actually when they put my IUD in, um, I made my mom drive down from Boston um, because I, first of all, the speculum in a gynecologist's office is the world's oh most painful God, thing. It's painful to yeah. painful for anyone. anybody. And especially if you can't even put a tampon in, you certainly cannot get a speculum. Right. Um, Let's start with revisiting how to redesign that baby. Yes, yeah, because seriously. all of those tools were designed by men. Yes. Yeah, and Just back in like medieval times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although, did you know that the first vibrator was actually designed by men? And really? it was because, partially because of endometriosis. I actually learned this from Samantha B. When a woman came in with endometriosis pain or really severe pain, the doctors, the male doctors, this is not a lie, they would say either we can 
you know, basically like burn you with a stake or something. He, they gave her like this awful, these awful options. And they were like, we can do this extremely painful thing or I can finger you to completion and that will cure it. That was literally the cause. That was literally what they did. They said, oh, big they, surprise. A man thinks he can solve everything by throwing by, an orgasm at a girl. Right? <laughs> orgasm. And eventually you're these, healed. I'm a God. Right? And eventually these male doctors got tired of having to finger like I 10 women a, a day. Cram. <laughs> and so they got a finger cramp and they oh complained God. about it and so they invented oh, the vibrator okay okay <laughs> can we just revisit this for one God. second <laughs> let me just revisit this for one second here we have woman in debilitating pain yep. right dude says let me fix that pain by getting you off and also probably getting off in the meanwhile oh yeah and then, oh, but it hurts my finger. <laughs> so let me suddenly yeah. invent this whole new tool this to fix it. New tool. Instead of inventing some sort of contraption that can fix this disease that yeah. 10 women a day are coming to me with. That's, oh my God. Isn't that absurd? So, that I mean, absurd. at least, you know, no, at least one no, positive thing sense. came out of it in the in the long run. But, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's quite ridiculous. When I, again, was listening to this TED Talk, <laughs> saw that 50% of all unexplained fertility cases and half of the 600,000 hysterectomies performed in the U.S. each year are due to endometriosis, which is unwarranted and not a cure for endometriosis. Yeah. And so I'm curious about that. It's it's frustrating. And it's something, you know, like I've, I've had doctors who have mentioned it in passing, but I have just known from the get-go that that's not something that I'm discussing until I am 64 and they've tried every single thing in the world and I've hopefully had babies if that's possible for me. Um, but a lot of doctors are just uneducated and there's actually um, a, a whole movement a few months ago um, to basically get more education out um, to the American um, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, um, the ACOG, basically to educate their doctors and educate their students and, and the, the medical community about things like the fact that hysterectomy is not a cure for endometriosis. That said, because endometriosis is such a complex disease and often incorporates so many other things, there are times when people will get a hysterectomy and get flack for it. So like Lena Dunham is an example. So she got um, her hysterectomy and she's always been very vocal about her endometriosis. And a lot of people gave her flack for it. And they said that she was setting a bad example for people by getting this. But then it was revealed that she has this condition where her uterus is heart shaped and actually a relative of mine has it. It's very, very rare. And it's something Thing that is, I mean, this relative of mine is scheduled for surgery on it in a couple months, and they're hoping that they can, you know, fix it because she's young and they're catching it early. But in certain cases, I mean, Lena Dunham, from what I understand, I think she might have adenomyosis as well. So there was enough there was enough that a hysterectomy could fix. But in a lot of people, um, like if you just have endometriosis, I mean, the whole thing with endometriosis is that your endometrial lining grows outside of your uterus. Mm -hmm. So regardless of whether or not your uterus is there, the endometriosis is going to grow wherever it wants and it doesn't need your uterus to be there. So that's why it's frustrating when doctors will say, you know, nothing else is working. Let's just take out the uterus because mm -hmm. that's like taking a Band-Aid off a scab that's on your knee and expecting it to fix the cut that's on your elbow, you know. Um, but if you have some, if you have adenomyosis, which is one thing that I do have, then 
because the whole condition is that it's growing inside your uterus, then that could be a cure for it. Of course, it is a last resort um, because that's permanent. I mean, mm-hmm. right now, even being in a temporary medical menopause um, that is reversible, even even that's a little f- scary because, yeah. I mean, as far as we know, like the medication that I'm on was originally made for breast cancer. Um, and basically it, it, take, it cuts your estrogen and um, that's the whole thing thing about it. And so, yeah, my boobs have gotten a little smaller, but um, it, you know, it's scary because I don't know how it's going to affect me. I don't know if once I go back on it, something is going to be off. I don't know. But yeah, hysterectomy is we need doctors to stop advocating for that. If somebody just has endometriosis, Um, that really should only ever be discussed if there's adenomyosis or if there's this condition, Um, the initials, basically pronounce Ovira. I think it's O-V-H-I-R-A or O-V-I-H-R-A, one of the two, and and other related things. As an aside, I remember reading this article about this young woman in, in Britain who's in her late 20s who wanted to have a hysterectomy because she didn't want to have kids. And none of the doctors would allow her to do it because they said she might change her mind, which is so paternalistic. But I also love the fact that then they will do this when it's not medically necessary, when they choose that it's okay. that. But I also really loved how you said uh, our doctors are uneducated because I think we have a tendency to really kind of like lionize doctors and and say like oh they know everything they know what's right they know what's best and it's not to Which say is what that, I thought at the beginning right, of this whole of course journey. of course you did we all do and I think uh I think that we all always have something to learn all the time even in whatever field that we're in mm-hmm. and why should it be different for doctors and there shouldn't be shame of not knowing everything yeah. and we should always be all of us including doctors should always be trying to learn more and there should always be these opportunities so i think that's if not that really more struck me yeah yeah and i learned that the really hard way me. i mean a year ago i had three doctors i had my general physician my regular gynecologist and then my endometriosis specialist in boston all changing my birth control pills every 2 weeks <laughs> Um, because they would, you know, I'd go to one and I would say, this is what I'm on. And they would say, I don't like that. I'm changing it. I would go to my next one. (laughs) They would say, I don't like this. I'm changing it. I'd go to my next one. I don't like this. I'm changing it. And during that time, I gained about 45 pounds and I haven't been able to get it off. And now they have suddenly found some issues with my thyroid that weren't there before. And we're not sure if there's a correlation, but (laughs) I I don't want to say causation and correlation are the same, but we're going to do a group hug after this. I mean, and at that time, you know, it was that I was trusting my doctors. I said, you know, all of you know what you're doing and that's that. And I'm just going to put this in your hand. And since then I've had to learn that, you know, at times I have to be like, no. (laughs) Doctor, I'm having this intense pain in my lady parts. Mm -hmm. Well, there are two options. I can commit you to a lunatic asylum or I can manually stimulate you to completion. Okay. I'll take the orgasm one. Sister, my sixth patient today, and my fingers are exhausted, so. (sighs) Women are so yucky. Cool. So then would you rather have sex in front of your parents or watch your parents have sex together? Oh, Oh, Jesus. Oh, no. Can I also just say that the picture on this would you rather is two foxes having sex? 
I like that best, honestly. <laughs> I choose boxes. Can, can that please? be my I choice? That one. <laughs> Could that be my choice? Sure, we'll go um, with D. Okay. <laughs> D foxes. <laughs> Sorry, what is D foxes? Yeah, I was about to say foxes for three hundred. <laughs> you know what really threw me off? It's the watching. The yeah, yeah. just. Yeah, like first, neither way is consensual for anyone. No. Yeah, no. Yeah. I feel as though the word watching implies a certain amount of active choosing to continue to watch. Right. Yes. So would you close your eyes if you were actively watching? Maybe you wouldn't. I think this would you rather list needs a lesson on consent culture, patriarchy. <laughs> also, so. major problem, like, there's no way I'd get off in front of my parents, so it's just like a oh. wasted... <laughs> yeah, no. It, it wouldn't wasted, be possible, so... A wasted <laughs> insertion. Right. <laughs> Take that out of there. Would you rather be a reverse centaur or a reverse mermaid? Oh. <laughs> uh, Wait. A centaur is horse with the head of a... Yeah. Human. So you would... Human with the head of a... Horse. So human with the head of a horse. I right. like that. If you walked into a room and you had a fish head, everyone would be like, fish heads, fish heads, roly poly. <laughs> At least I would. I don't know. That's why I would want to be a reverse centaur. Because <laughs> that's that's what you think would happen. Yeah, that cool, would be cool, my cool. theme song. <laughs> fish heads. If you had a half a fish head, though, would you have to like be half in water all the time? Oh, do you have gills? You oh. Have to- Oh, yeah. What would you wow. have to have like the like sandy know. cheeks from SpongeBob, just like a water bowl oh. over your head? Exactly. Oh, you would. Wow, that's fun. That would be pretty cool. Like yeah. a fish bowl that just is on your head. Yeah. 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 No, I still I, I would go with horse too. Yeah. Wow. Good. Yeah. Thank you so thank much. You, thank you. Thanks for coming in. I have to say, I learned a probably lot. more than I've learned sitting on any other episode that we've done. Yeah. That was really incredible. I do a lot of a lot of research. Yeah, you explained everything really well. So thank you for teaching us. It was like a class. It was. It was awesome. My eyes were this big. It's always nice to, you know, get to get to talk about this without people being like, ugh. No, you can talk to us about it whenever you want. Oh my God. Why did you bring your heating pad here? Oh my God. I have I have three. I have one that sits at my desk at work and then I have two that are in my bed. And then I actually have one that you microwave and you have to we carry around with you yeah so i so i guess i have four thank you for listening to welcome to my vagina it's time for us to slide on out of here god damn it, it doesn't it sound right when i do it <laughs> places you can find us <laughs> on instagram at welcome to my vagina we're trying to get a thousand followers to tell your friends and uh twitter at welcome to my badge we also have a website, welcomebyvagina.com, which leads you to my YouTube page, also yep. Welcome to My Vagina. Uh-huh. And there's a blog section where I have posted a couple of things, but we're also looking for writers. So if you have interesting opinions, if you are a person who wants to break into writing and wants to share your voice, we're looking for diverse opinions, all sorts of different people. We're basically looking know. for anyone who's not a cisgender man. Yeah. We, we definitely want you guys to be allies, but right now we're looking yeah. for other voices. Yeah. And also we love... Of, uh, our white women peers but we're two white women sitting here so we'd love more diverse voices also thank you so much to our producer uh, Caitlin Moldenhauer of More Banana Productions please check out all of the work from this all women network including World Stealers There Will Be Porn I'm Listening with Anita Flores and Awkward Sex in the City with Natalie Wall which is coming to you in July yeah More Banana Production is killing it yeah guys we're kind of taking over the world and don't forget to review us. And subscribe and tell your friends. Yeah. And right. we're going to have merch soon. Merch. I don't know why that word always makes me think of Merkins. 
Ooh. <laughs> merch and merch. Also check out all of Rebecca's writing at franklyrebecca.com. Dun, da, da, da. Da, da, da. Yeah. All right. See you next Tuesday. <laughs> See you next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs>